Are you one of those people that forgot everything since high school? We're about letters and learning. And, and learning. E educating adults. And education. Yep. Yep. Do you want to learn things about stuff? You saw Breaking Bad? Sudafed is used to make meth. Or would you like to learn the definitions of new words? I like tomato soup. Or are you just lonely? I consulted a wizard on this one. Great, we're the pod for you. Hey, I'm Carly. And I'm Kelsey. And we're two best friends that talk about everything from A to Z. In that order. Listen to Brought to You by the Letter every Thursday to learn more stuff. And things. Okay, bye. Love you, bye. Bye. Coming up on episode 39 of Anchor Persons. Tired of regular old-fashioned time? Get ready for Time Crystal. No use stealing a dead horse. Hard Mountain Dew. It's a headbutt in a can. What puts the J in pajamas? And what does getting tattooed have to do with Jan Harold Brunvond? Stay tuned to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Anchor Persons. From the south and east of the northwest, the land of trees and rivers, currently on fire, it's Anchor Persons with Gene and Greg Person. Featuring sports, emotional weather, food crime, the podcast shopping network, and more. Anchors weigh you down. Cut loose with your news. Here's Gene and Greg. Good evening, wherever you are whoever you are, and welcome to Anchor Persons. I'm Gene Person. And I'm Greg Person. No relation! Anchor Persons is a news show for people who don't like news shows by people who don't like news shows. That's us. Yes, it is. Just two regular human people doing news hating on a podcast. Human people. Yes. I want to specify we're both humans. Neither of us is lizards or robots or brains in jars. We are definitely, definitely human you think they're going for it until you asked that i think there was a possibility that's we can cut that out that's fine let's get into tonight's story beats an oklahoma man is in big trouble for firing a gun at a player while refereeing a soccer match spectators were especially distressed because that's a hell of a way to get woken up <laughs> so he just in the middle of a soccer match whipped out a weapon and started firing well what happened was um he was refereeing the match uh, a guy got red carded. Uh, the guy wanted to fight him over the red card. So he went back to his pickup and got a gun and licked off a shot at the guy. But in so doing, he was also shooting at the stands. Wow. Yeah. That's incredibly dangerous. Well, no. Well, that's Oklahoma As we for established you. last week, guns are toys. Oh, right, 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 right. And this was a game. So it belongs right. there. Nothing gotcha. bad can happen from firing a gun. You're just exercising your freedom, and freedom is always good. A man was arrested in Greenville, Tennessee, after floating down the Nolichucky River naked and refusing help from rescuers. Apparently, several attempts were made to bring him to shore, but he just sang, God bless the USA, as he floated down the river. When he was finally brought ashore, he was arrested and charged with both indecent exposure and disorderly conduct. When asked for comment, the man declared that he had crashed his car into a cop car the other day, and he just drove off. Sometimes life's okay. That's the most beautiful story I've ever heard, Gene. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna feign modesty. I'm gonna be a, a little mousy in my uh, reception to that compliment. Thank you. 
but uh, I can't take credit. Well, the British Parliament has held American President Joe Biden in contempt for the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, saying that if we're not careful, we might get kicked out of the United Kingdom. <laughs> A major setback for America's fast-growing industry of self-taught at-home COVID doctors. The FDA is warned against using drugs intended to treat livestock for parasites as a treatment for COVID. The FDA had already warned against using fish tank cleaner and injecting bleach. Ivermectin, the drug in question, can cause serious side effects including dangerously low blood pressure, seizures, coma, and death, and is often sold in doses concentrated for use in cows that weigh... 1,600 pounds. Those in favor of self-treatment did attempt to assure officials they are enough like cows in three ways. They're easily misled by other cows. They got beef with the system. And they're not going to live very long. But hey, those two or three people six months ago died after getting the COVID vaccine, so I guess pick your poison. A new report by the FBI concludes that Donald Trump was not directly involved in the Capitol riots. I'm very excited to learn that you can't be held responsible for things you directly tell a crowd of people to do for reasons that will become clear shortly. <laughs> Southern Oregon-based coffee business Dutch Bros has filed an application to sell public shares in their company. Dutch Bros has been expanding rapidly since starting in my hometown of Grants Pass, Oregon in the 90s. Dutch Bros is known for its young, energetic baristas who work hard, play hard, and will find out what you're up to today even if they have to climb into your car to do it. The SEC is reportedly considering the application, but who are we kidding? They're going to hook it up! I personally am really excited for the rest of the country to feel the pain that I feel at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday morning when I'm asked where I'm going today. Enough about the news, let's move on to main news! There's a certain type of story in wide circulation that just exploded after the internet came around, urban legends, often attributed to a friend of a friend or just believable enough that you can be easily convinced and perpetuate the cycle. For those of our listeners born after the internet already existed, these predated fake news and Facebook memes. They predated Russian trolls and other misinformation. Urban legends are perhaps most famously what gave Snopes.com its start. And whatever your opinion of Mickelson and company, for a long time, the fact-checking on Snopes was considered beyond reproach. But even before Snopes, there was Jan, sorry, it's Jan Harold Brunvand, who collected these tales and published them into books with titles like The Vanishing Hitchhiker and The Baby Train. Jan was a professor, an academic, but it was he who identified this phenomenon in urban folklore and began to catalog it. He's done a thorough job, too. I was reading his books before I even discovered Snopes, so when, in my senior year of high school, one of my friends told me the horrifying story of his second cousin, who had his kidney stolen at a hotel, I couldn't help but laugh. Because I'd already read about it, thanks to Professor Brunvand. But my friend regaling me with this tale wouldn't hear of it when I attempted to debunk him. In general, people don't like being told that they're wrong, even if they aren't necessarily being dishonest, which they sometimes are. Jan Harold Brunvand is a wonderful academic who identified a phenomenon, wrote about that phenomenon in a very accessible way, and wrote me many, many years ago when I sent him a story someone told me that I suspected was one of these tales. He helped plant a seed of curiosity and skepticism in me at a very young age, and I'm grateful to him for that. But what does that have to do with... Getting tattooed. 
Now, to clarify, this is not about tattooers, tattoos, or tattooing. This is strictly the phenomenon, the experience of getting tattooed, which is, if you'll pardon the pun, indelible. Now, <laughs> it's been a long time since I got one, and since I have not really left quarantine since it started, I've had plenty of time to think about what I miss most about the outside world. And for some reason, as soon as I can bear to let a stranger breathe on me, the first thing I want to do is get some more ink. Now, Gene, I don't remember. It's been that long since we've seen each other in person. Do you have any tattoos? I do. I do have a tattoo. Okay. How did you feel about it when you got it? I felt pretty good about it when I got it. I, I like my tattoo. I uh, unfortunately can never get another one. Yes, that's true. For our, for our listeners at home... Gene is allergic to most forms of... Let's just say I'm allergic to a bunch of stuff. Yes, and one of those things is uh, tattoo ink, which sucks. Yeah. Because I love getting tattoos. Um, it, you know, people ask me, people who don't have tattoos say, oh, did that hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It hurts a fair amount. But if it didn't, you wouldn't want one. Because... And, and like, really, the pain, I don't know, It's it's not that bad. It's like... It's like the pain of a bad sunburn most right. of the time until they hit a nerve and then it's like, Ugh. but right. It's, it's like getting a sunburn painted on is basically what it's like. That's what it feels and, like. Yeah. And if it wasn't for that, you would just be at the face painting booth at the County fair. It wouldn't mean anything to you. So, I mean, there are people who try to like put on numbing creams and, and things to reduce the, the pain of the tattoo, which doesn't really work. First of all. And second of all, you're robbing yourself of the price that makes your tattoo meaningful. So, hmm. well, that's just my take. I'm a, I'm a freak like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some more ink. But what does that have to do with a, a famous skeptical professor? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily a skeptic by nature. He just noticed that a bunch of people were telling him this, you know, same story that was told by a friend of a friend. And I mean, that'll... He's a critical thinker, sure, but that doesn't make mean he's necessarily a skeptic. A fair point. Like, if, if three people are telling you uh, they had a friend of a friend who brought a rat back from Mexico that was a Doberman, or that they thought was a Doberman, you're going you're gonna to connect those dots. You know, I got a, uh, I got a rat from Mexico. Or Mex connect those dogs. Nope, I'm sorry. That I can't allow. You let me have the indelible one, and I appreciate that, but... I don't think I'm going to let you connect the dogs. No. <laughs> now, do we know if Professor Brunvond, Brunvond, excuse me. Do we know if Professor Brunvond had any tattoos? Uh, we have, I have no idea if Brun, Professor Brunvond has any tattoos. I mean, we can reasonably assume that he does. I feel like most people have some ink somewhere. Maybe. I don't know that. From the photos I've seen of this guy, I don't know that he has any tattoos. It's probably, you know, some regrettable tramp stamp or like a, a butterfly on his thigh that he regrets, but. Okay. So, I mean, he's not going to okay. show that in pictures, but you, you kind of know it's there. What I will say is there are plenty, uh, there are at least a few urban legends about getting tattooed. And oddly enough, the one that I wrote Jan Brunvond about involved a tattoo oh did it really yeah <laughs> do tell so i had um two separate people 
tell me a story where a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who worked at a grocery checkout. These were people who did not know each other necessarily, but who I knew. Anyway, the the story is that their friend at checkout or their friend of the friend was checking out this gentleman who showed a tattoo, which was a barcode, had them scan that barcode, and then the groceries were free. That's wild. I love that. That's but so good. But I had multiple people tell me this story, and I thought, well, m- maybe he's heard it before. And so I sent it to him, and he said, no, he hadn't heard that one. But I just appreciated that I heard back from him. Yeah, Because I'd read his really books cool. at that point. I think I was 19, so I'd read his books, several of his books at that point. And this, this, this guy who'd published all these books was writing, emailing me back. And I think it only took like a day before I got that email. And you added to the store of his knowledge. Well, maybe. Well, if he hadn't heard it, then that's a new, you know, that's a new urban legend for his urban legend pile. Well, so. I guess, but I, I may have been the only one who brought that to his attention. I just, uh, I, I just thought maybe there was a chance it was an actual urban legend because I'd heard it from two separate people. That's a, that's a pretty great story. I kind of love that. I mean, because that's not possible, but right. Um, that's that's real fun though. I like it. But I think it it plays on themes of you know like the uh, the fear of the tribulation, you know the mark of the beast and all that. But also it's got. Well, but it's also got this fun sort of trickster element of like, oh, oh yeah, here's yeah, a guy sure. who figured out how to beat the system. I mean, yeah, that's kind of fun. It's, it's 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 a good little story. I'm I'm still having trouble connecting those things though, and we know that they must be connected because everything's connected. That's the whole premise of this segment. But I'm still I'm having trouble coming up with a real strong connection that I feel good about for these stories. How about this one? So Jan Brunvand pretty much pointed out what the phenomenon of urban folklore is. He he identified the legends, he cataloged them, he identified how they spread. Mm-hmm. He has made a mark on our culture that cannot be taken away. And think too about all the books he's written. I mean, that's a lot of ink. Yeah. This guy's Yeah, and that is that that also will outlive him. Yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, you could you could laser off a tattoo. You can't laser off books. That's not how it works. Well, I mean, you could laser off books, I think. I mean, but you'd probably catch them on fire. Right. Well, that's how you'd have to do it. And yeah. you you probably couldn't get them all. Well, you might. I mean, if you had a big enough laser, you could just take out the the planet Earth, and then you yeah. get them all. Well, yeah, sure. If you laser the whole planet, yeah. But who's got that kind of laser? Not me. Definitely not me. I wouldn't have a giant laser that uh, is sitting right now parked on the dark side of the moon. No. We'd like to reassure our listeners that the anchor persons are both human. And we, we're definitely humans, and we don't have a laser. All right. So, um, good work. I think that's going to be probably the best. (laughs) Yeah, we tried. We tried. This was a hard one. This was a really difficult one. Well, there's super different concepts that really don't connect all that well. I, I think there's one other bit that might connect them. Like urban legends, getting a tattoo can be very uncomfortable, even painful. Mm hmm. 
to experience when you first hear about it, especially if you believe in the urban legend, uh, that could be a connection. And then on the other side of it, you have a story. So I like that. Here's one. Here's one. I just thought of try this one on for size. All right. A lot of urban legends are about conspiracies. Sure. And a lot of conspiracies are cover-ups. Okay. Like a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Urban, urban legends tend to circulate best when there's not any critical thinking employed. And so I have to imagine they also have a rich history and culture in white supremacy. Actually, they do. Um, that's a that's a really salient point uh, because there's a ton of there's a ton of conspiracy theories that if you trace back the origins of them, uh, a lot of them started as anti-Jewish propaganda, anti-Semitic propaganda. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense and, now that uh, I think about it. Yeah, white supremacists are, well, their whole ethos is basically a giant conspiracy theory. Right, so y- right. Yes, uh, the white supremacy movement, very big into regrettable tattoos, very big into regrettable uh, conspiracy theories and urban myths. Uh, because they're dumb as fuck and they don't know how to think about things. Their brains aren't good. So yeah. that happens. All right, let's move on to breaking news. My story, in South Carolina, police arrested a man after deputies discovered a stolen horse inside his bedroom last week. Apparently, this all started when a woman saw the man, identified as Gary Chase Coble Jr., riding the horse down the middle of the road in the afternoon and uh, then leading him into a home. When deputies arrived, they contacted Coble's father, who I think may have been the owner of the property. He informed police that uh, Coble wasn't supposed to be there. When his father arrived, Koble opened the door, and police caught a glimpse of some horse poop in the living room. When deputies tried to arrest him, he made a beeline for a bedroom door, and that's when deputies discovered a horse just kind of hanging out there, standing in the middle of the room. The horse, who appeared to be calm, did have a red laceration on one of his legs, an injury that likely happened after the theft. Other charges were added, including malicious injury to an animal and burglary. So my first question, why did he steal the horse? First blush, and I think we all have the same thought, maybe he was going to try fucking that horse. Mm-hmm. Pretty reprehensible, but I think maybe there was something darker at play. I think he was really just really, really goddamn hungry for soup. Well, then the horse would be in the kitchen. I mean... No, 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 no. This was not a property he owned. He was going to do the dirty work. You got to get you got to get the bones out somehow. He had already started cutting. Well, but that, even that's still, where the wound on the leg comes in. The bedroom is the worst place to make dinner. Like, well, apart from the bathroom, he's just harvesting the bones. He doesn't want the meat for anything. It's all about making that horse bone broth. I'm just saying, Gene, that rooms in a house have purposes, specific yeah. functions that they're designed for. The kitchen yeah, but, is for preparing food. It, if this home was his father's home, maybe he was like, fuck it, I'll get horse blood all over my papa's spare room. I mean, if you really hated someone, butchering a horse in their bedroom would be a great way to really fuck up their day. That's um, that's what I'm saying. So anyway, a guy like this, he's bound to be a menace once he gets to prison, right? My sources say nay. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I, I hate this show so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. (laughs) 
By all accounts, he's a model prisoner and engages in absolutely no horseplay. Jesus fucking Christ. I swear to God, I am two seconds away from ripping off my headphones. Now, I'm not maligning the woman who called the police, but if I saw a man leading a horse into a house, I'm not sure I would have called the police. I might have called the ASPCA or something, but I feel like that's kind of weird. No, there's there's definitely a crime happening if you're leading a horse into a house. because I don't know. Horse people are weird. They do weird things. No, because this is what I'm saying. Rooms have functions. If you're going to treat a horse as a horse, you would leave it in the yard. If you were going to treat it as a vehicle, you would put it in the garage. If you're taking it into the bedroom, you're going to fuck that horse because that's what you do in there. No, well, maybe you're just going to sleep and you want you, you for some for whatever reason, you want a horse guardian. Actually, that's, to watch over you while you rest. It's not a bad. I'd, I'd feel safer if I had a horse watching me sleep. All right. I guess what we learned is that really the guy did nothing wrong. Yeah. I mean, he just wanted to feel safer when he went to sleep. I think we can all identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about your breaking news story, Greg? Okay. This is a wild one. This is really cool. I do want to caution right up front. I don't 100% understand how it works. What I think I understand is probably wrong. So with that in mind, physicists have made a new form of matter uh, that they just thought of a few years ago. It's called a time crystal. And what it is, is in the regular world, we have crystals, which, you know, Mm -hmm. are solid objects with a repeating structure. And so they they thought, well, why couldn't you have a a structure that repeats in time? And I mean... Your first response to that is, well, the reason you can't have that is because it's insane and it makes no sense. But that does not stop a physicist. So what they did was they created this quantum size structure that if they zap it with a laser, it flips back and forth between states. But the cool part is it's not the energy of the laser that makes it flip back and forth it doesn't actually use any of the energy from the laser because technically the time crystal is not flipping back and forth multiple times. It's flipping one time over and over again. Oh, weird. So it doesn't technically violate the second law of thermodynamics, but in practice it very much does because that's crazy. Yeah. It'll keep doing that forever Because, as I understand it, it's sort of doing a time loop. Yeah. That is mind-blowing. Yes, it's scary to me, yeah. See, I was okay with this headline. I was was at least pretty okay with this headline, but that was before I saw the time crystal! That's a good place reference, folks. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing with your life? Um... Yeah, but that's a that's really a trip. Well, and you might be asking, is, is there, are there are there any like practical uses for this phenomenon? No, no. So far, uh, the answer to the question "What good is it?" is shut your stupid mouth, because okay. it's it's so new and so wild that no mm. one can think of what it might possibly be used for. But I mean, mm. that's true of like all discoveries in physics, basically. Yeah, pretty much. When they first and eventually they find uses for a lot of them. Right. Well, it's like uh, take lasers for example. There's lasers in this story. We use lasers for all kinds of things. But the first guy who was like, "Look, I can make all these photons go in the same direction," 
people were like, mm -hmm. that's cool. Or in fact, um, electricity. When um, Faraday was, was doing his little touring science show and he was showing mm -hmm. people how electricity and magnetism are connected, people were like, well, actually a lady literally came up to him after one of his shows and said, well, that's all very well, Mr. Faraday, but pray tell what good is it? And he mm -hmm. said, what good is a newborn baby? Mm -hmm. That's know? a good point. Yeah. I, the time crystal is going to lead to terrifying inventions i'm sure probably <laughs> but uh, I'm well if there's one lesson i drew from uh the film napoleon dynamite it's that the crystals are essential for time travel <laughs> and that's a napoleon dynamite reference if you haven't seen that one get on it greetings gentle listeners if you enjoy this podcast you may also like brose a murphy talk show starring four bros who sip wine and consider questions submitted by you the audience about current events pop culture and which Muppet you should get tattooed on your back. Subscribe to Brose wherever you get your podcasts. That's B-R-O-S-E. Brose, the podcast for those who drink rosé. <laughs> yeah, so let's, uh, let's move on to sports. In the history of our show, we've covered a number of English sports, all of them either silly or reprehensible, many of them both. There's ferret-legging, toe wrestling you know what i'm not gonna read the whole list because i'm already getting mad but then my buddy tim sent me an article about dwyal flunking and yeah it's unquestionably an english sport and it is also unquestionably kind of terrible this one may not be as bad in the game of dwyal flunking there are two teams of 12 players the fact that there's a set number of players is so incredibly silly to me because this is obviously a sport that doesn't need it but never you mind we're going to keep going here. One team goes at a time, and each member of that team takes a turn to dance around a member of the other team, called the Flonker, who throws a beer-soaked cloth. If it touches one of the dancers, there are points. The rules are oddly strict and undeniably English. The first team to flonk is decided by tossing a sugar beet. And there are names for everything. For instance, if you hit a girder, Oh yeah, that's the the active dancers. That's what they're called. On the head, you score a three-point wanton. A body hit is a morther. A leg hit is a ripper. And a non-hit is a swage. Points are deducted for all sober players at the end of the game. This reads a lot to me like a parody of an English sport. But it's probably the first one I've learned about that I wasn't immediately pissed off or grossed out by. It seems like it's all in good fun, and I've heard of American drinking games that are kind of worse. So I'll allow it. But watch yourself, McCoy. This doesn't seem like it's hurting anyone. Yeah, it really isn't. So they get a pass this time. We've tentatively decided we're going to take it a little bit easier on the English. For one episode. Yes. Do we, do we want to tell them about that? Yeah, we can tell them. At some point in the future, we will have a themed bonus episode. That is decidedly not anti-Brit. There are things that we don't absolutely loathe about the UK, and we're going to highlight those things. So, yeah, absolutely. you're welcome. All right. So we've, uh, we've covered our sports feature for this week. How about our creature feature? Gene, consider the lobster. <laughs> no, I'm not changing it to a Jordan Peterson fan cast yet. 
But just because you think you know an animal doesn't mean it's not weird enough to be a creature feature. Sure. The lobster, for example, it grows, but it doesn't age. It doesn't experience hmm. what scientists call senescence. It just becomes more powerful over the years until finally it's so big that the energy that it takes to molt is more than it can muster. And that can be 40, 50 years. Now, if you want to take a few minutes, I can give you a quick thumbnail description of how this works. Like, on... Yeah, yeah, by all okay, means. Okay, great. So in, in your animal cells, um, each one of your cells has these things called telomeres or telomeres, depending on how you talk. Mm -hmm. And the telomeres, they're basically like a cellular clock. Each time that cell divides, the telomere gets shorter. And this is to keep your cells from getting too fucked up because each time they replicate, you know, they can change a little bit. So this is the kind of thing that keeps you from getting cancer, things like that. Uh, but it's also the thing that causes you to age because when your telomere runs out, the cell either destroys itself or it becomes sort of inactive. And that's what we call senescence. That's aging. But mm -hmm. there is an enzyme uh, that is produced in, for example, uh, newborn humans called telomerase that uh, repairs the telomeres in the cells so that they don't get any shorter. Now, lobsters produce telomeres or telomerase throughout their lives and uh, through all their cells. So their telomeres are always the same length. So they're, they don't, they don't age and their cells don't die like that. Now, be, the reason this works for the lobster is that the lobster's genome is incredibly stable and their immune systems are really strong and really active. So they're less likely to develop cancer and when they do, their immune systems take care of it right away. And we don't have that, hmm. so we can't just inject ourselves with telomerase or telomerase and uh, become immortal because if we do that, we'll all get just shitloads of cancer and die. Hmm. Now, quick question. Mm -hmm. Do lobsters squirt vinegar from their whip-like tails? No. Do they have heavy mouth parts? Um, actually, I think the mouth parts of the lobster are pretty minimal. I think okay. mainly you're looking at the claws are sort of the heavy parts. Mm -hmm. But I tell you this, um, and you see this particularly in a lot of older recipes, recommend squirting vinegar on the lobster. Interesting. Yeah, lobster um, or vinegar, I should say, was a, a very popular lobster condiment until tastes sort of changed. And now it's all about like butter and, and things like that. But they used yeah. to love a little squirt of vinegar to, to. Well, and you still, you know, might see lemon on a lobster tail. Sure. I do have a funny story about lobsters. Okay. So uh, it was quite a while ago. Uh, some of my friends and myself, we were at a beach and uh, this might've been a dream because for some reason, everybody had matching towels. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Somebody went under a dock and uh, there they saw a rock, but it wasn't a rock, Greg. It was, a, do you know what it was? It was a rock lobster. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were going to do it. God damn it. <laughs> Well, on that fun note, let's move on to the emotional weather. 
This week, our emotional weather is Blinded by the Light, Dark Side of the Moon, and Touch of Grey. My story for Blinded by the Light. So, what is the brightest star in the summer night sky? You'd probably say Polaris, the North Star, right? Wrong, motherfucker. Polaris is the 48th brightest star in the summer night sky. It isn't even the brightest star in the winter. Sirius, the dog star of Canis Major, is the brightest in the winter. The brightest star in the summer is actually Arcturus. Arcturus is such a bright shining star, it's being considered as a potential future host of Jeopardy. I'm triggered by that joke. Because I'm very emotionally invested in LeVar Burton getting that hosting gig, and I, I don't think he will, and it hurts. He probably won't, and that does hurt. Well, for my Blinded by the Light story, researchers at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory have hit a milestone in nuclear fusion. They zapped a pellet of hydrogen with a bunch of lasers, and they were able to cause it to create a a fusion hotspot. Guess how much power this thing generated? How much? 10 quadrillion watts of fusion power for 100 trillionths of a second. So we've talked in the past about how occasionally we'll just have like through lines in our show that we don't intentionally put in there, but it really feels like lasers are this week's theme. Yeah, for real. And I didn't even, I didn't go hunting for laser stuff. It's just, they're there, you know, lasers Mm, are all around us. But the, the thing that sucks about this, because this is kind of the, they were calling it the Kitty Hawk moment for nuclear Mm -hmm. fusion because it's like this is not practical but they've proven they can get it up off the ground and Mm -hmm. so immediately the defense department the nuclear weapons guys who have not funded this project for shit for decades are all of a sudden very very interested to see if they can use this new technology to kill people because they're sick they're they're sickos they're freaks but the good news is we're so much closer to fusion power than we were just a few weeks ago. That's great. That's exciting. It is. It's tremendously exciting. I hope, I hope we all live to enjoy it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. My dark side of the moon story last Friday, August 21st was the 40th anniversary of a film that to my mind is probably the best werewolf movie an American werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. The film written and directed by John Landis, featured cutting-edge practical effects that were pretty much revolutionary for their time and set a bar so high that only the body horror movement could top it. The movie is revered, and it makes me so sad that it's 40 years old because it means I'm even older than one of my favorite horror comedies. It's so much one of my favorite movies that I think it should be considered as a potential future host of Jeopardy. Now you're just trying to hurt my feelings. I am not. That's a great flick, though. It's one of my favorites, too. Now... I have more science news for you uh, for my dark side of the moon news. The James Webb Space Telescope, which will be deployed to the dark side of the moon, has begun to be transported in stages to its launch site in French Guiana. It should launch in November or December and start sending us sites man was never meant to see by this time next year. Well, that's really cool. It's extremely cool. And the best part is there's nothing else on the dark side of the moon that is going to interfere with the operation of this telescope. Right, because... Yeah, there's there's no lasers or orbital platforms or uh, spaceships mm-hmm. there. It's ju- oh, right, right, it's right. It's just going to be this right. thing. Yeah, naturally. Mm-hmm. My story for A Touch of Grey, more than A Touch of Grey, but Gil and I recently rewatched the first two seasons of The Mole on Netflix, and Anderson Cooper is a silver fox. 
What I liked most about the experience of watching him on the mole was getting to see the goofy side of Anderson and the deadpan comedy he's able to offer. He's a wonderful reporter. Hell, I watched him on Channel One News back when it was airing at my school. But I have a lot of respect for him, and both Gil and myself agree that he is round. Also, he should host Jeopardy. I swear to Christ. <laughs> this is not a fit subject for comedy. Some things are <laughs> off limits, Gene. For my touch of gray weather. Well, it's not so much weather. It's just the only thing I can see when I look out the window. Gray is the color of the sky, the only color of the sky, for weeks. Everyone mm -hmm. I know is sick and constantly miserable. I don't know what anyone can do about it, but please help us. It's horrible. So I went for a, you know, I go for a walk every night. Last night I went for a walk in this pea soup thick smoke and I, I had to cut it short because I was, I was feeling the effects of breathing in the smoke. And then I sneezed all day and I was thinking about how hard that must be right now for everyone out there in Southern Oregon where <laughs> the pandemic is way out of hand. Delta's spreading like wildfire. We have like, we have the highest per capita spread in Southern Oregon, go figure. And then we've got this smoke from trees that is filling our air, irritating our, our lungs, and uh, in some cases causing allergies to flare up. Oh man, it's been, it's been terrible. I mean, I live in a trailer that was built in 1974. There's, mm -hmm. there's no insulation. Like these windows might as well be holes. Half the time I am wearing an N95 mask in my house. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. That's it's terrible. It's miserable. And, and I don't even have the worst of it. Like, there, right. there are older people I know who have shitty lungs who are so, so, so sick and there's right. nothing anyone can do for them. Right. Okay. Well, we brought it down sufficiently, I think. Yeah. 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 As person in person does, we're going to end on a nice little bummer. All right. As you know, every week our investigative team uncovers a detailed and harrowing story on food crime. This week, Greg Person has a story. Greg? Well, naturally, PepsiCo wanted a piece of the sweet action enjoyed by Buckfast and Four Loco, and they've announced the creation of a Mountain Dew malt liquor. It's called Hard Mountain Dew, spelled just like it sounds, M-T-N. I know what you're thinking. This is going to get pulled from the market in a few weeks after a TikToker has one and tries to steal a cop's gun. That's not actually what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, isn't there already a Hard Mountain Dew? It's called Moonshine? Well, yes, that's literally the good old Mountain Dew. And right. them that refuse it are few. <laughs> but um, but no, it's, it's kind of come full circle, hasn't it? Because it's called Mountain Dew in reference to Moonshine, which, uh, folks, if right. you don't know, if you're not up on your uh, bluegrass music, uh, Mountain Dew is uh, old-timey slang for Moonshine. So they called it Mountain Dew. But now they've made an alcoholic Mountain Dew. So, yeah, it's, everything comes back around. It's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, yeah, you know, somebody's, uh, somebody's going to get white girl wasted and headbutt a police horse and they'll yank it from the shelves. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, it's going to be a catalyst for a lot of great story beats. So <laughs> right. everybody just be cool. Keep your distance from college bars and sororities. And watch this space. It's going to be great. Frankly, I think I can feel the scruffy neckbeard hair on the market for this product already. 
Oh my! Imagine ima- if this becomes the gamer fuel. Ima- oh yeah, that's exactly what it's going to become. Imagine how wild Twitch is going to be. <laughs> oh God! Oh yeah, yeah, it's going to be a horror show. Yeah, if if you thought uh, YouTube Let's Play videos were terrible before, fuck. <laughs> Let's move on to the podcast shopping network tonight. We're going to talk about the greatest garment since the tuxedo shirt. Let's say it's nighttime and you want to go to bed dressed like you're ready to go wrangle a bunch of cattle. You're not just going to sleep in your jeans. That's silly. It wouldn't be comfortable. Enter pajama jeans. They're everything you expect from pajama pants. Comfort, breathability, and softness. But they also look like everything you expect from jeans. They're blue. They have pockets and similar stitching. Now let's flip this around. You have to go out to the supermarket, but you don't want to take your pajamas off because, let's face it, it's a hassle, especially in this modern age of telecommuting. Problem fucking solved, noble listener, because if you're wearing pajama jeans, you're already dressed. The one drawback to pajama jeans is the price tag. I'll set you back 40 bucks, and that's pretty much what you'd pay for real jeans, which have a bit more longevity and durability, but a lot less comfort. Bedtime is now jed time. Sleeping is now jeeping. <laughs> Say what you will about my pajama jeans, Gil. I think they're fucking great. So, like, I, I heard you make the pitch for the product and describe it in detail. I still don't really get it. So, they're soft cotton jeans that stretch like pajama pants. Okay. But look like but look like real blue jeans. Well, if you're just wearing them for pajamas, it doesn't really matter if they look like jeans or not, right? So these are meant to be worn outside the home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can just wear... You can wear anything these days. You can wear pajama pants in public now. There are no rules. Yeah. Well, if, if this is the kind... if Because these are roughly the same price as any other pair of pants, right? Yeah, yeah. Any pair of pants that you would normally wear outside of the house. I think you can probably get some pajama pants for like 15 bucks. Right. But I don't know that... Uh, I don't know that they're going to look like jeans. And I think maybe some of the lower uh, cost pajama pants may not have pockets. And, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to wear something without pockets. Even my skirts have pockets. Hashtag my skirts have pockets. All right. It's time for state up the next state in our list of made up facts about all 50 states in the U S Mississippi. Finally, we've reached the state that looks most like Bart Simpson's head. Savor this moment. It's all downhill from here. The state of Mississippi is nicknamed the Magnolia state after drag queen Magnolia Crawford. Speaking of names, The Delta variant of COVID isn't named after the Mississippi Delta, but it might as well be. Mississippi is commonly misspelled M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, but this is actually incorrect. Its original name is unknowable. Its spelling is arcane and varied as the secret darkness that resides within. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves looks like a particularly mean-spirited caricature of a Republican on a NoFX album cover. Mississippi, and this is true, is one of the COVID hotbeds where people are taking ivermectin. And that tells you everything you need to know about the state of Mississippi. Not that I should be throwing stones, because I'm in Southern Oregon. Our final segment tonight, as every week, is still called Person to Person in Person because it's a damned good name. It's also where we share your valuable feedback with our audience. Just one email this week, and it reads, Dear member, 
Your subscription for Norton Protection has been successfully renewed and updated. The debited amount will be reflected within the next 24 to 48 hour on your account statement. Product information, and then there's some product information with a price tag of $472.19. Payment method, auto renewal. If you wish to cancel this subscription, please feel free to contact our accounts department as soon as possible. You can reach us at, phone number, regards, billing department. Now, obviously, this can only mean one thing. We're big enough here at the Anchor Persons podcast that even Symantec has heard of us and thinks we can afford almost $500 of annual subscription to an antivirus program. Sorry there, Norton. Word may be getting out, but we're not making any big purchases at this time. Luckily, the friendly customer service lady was happy to take down my card information and assured me that though a charge was scheduled, it would be canceled. Phew. Dodged a bullet there. I'm just kidding, of course. I gave them your card information, Greg. Well, I don't think we really need this service because the only antivirus protection we need... Ivermectin. (laughs) As always, I'd like to give a shout out to the bros at Brose and to our voiceover artist, Adam West, who you can find at Fiverr or at his website, awestprod.com. Folks, that's all the news the persons have for you tonight. Would you like a haiku written about the topic of your choice? Send your topic and the anchor persons might just make that happen. Gene and Greg love your feedback and there are so many ways to give it to them. Send them an email, anchorpersonspodcast at gmail.com. Find them on Twitter at anchorpersons or visit their website, anchorpersonspodcast.com, where you can leave an audio message via SpeakPipe as well as find full episodes of the show, blog posts, and more. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcatcher of your choice. Or simply tell a friend. Until next time. This is Gene Person saying you should always end your comedy set with a callback. And this is Greg Person saying, wow. Good night. Look, I know we all had a big laugh about how Greg and Gene Person could be aliens harboring a giant laser on the dark side of the moon in this week's episode. But the simple truth is that none of that is true. Greg and Gene are not aliens. They're humans. Why else would their names be Person? It's a very human name. As far as giant lasers that could destroy the Earth are concerned... I mean, first of all, how would they get it there? They're persons. Secondly, why would they hide it on the dark side of the moon, where there is no clear shot at planet Earth? It's just flawed logic. 
Greg and Gene are human. They're so human. Incredibly human. In fact, their names shouldn't be Greg Person and Gene Person. It should be Greg Human and Gene Human. In summary, Greg and Gene are human. There is no giant laser. And humanity definitely shouldn't be sending anything to the dark side of the moon. That was a human noise.